A reading from the book of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, good morning. My name is Cody Quinn, and I'm the pastor of Students and Connections here at One Fellowship, and I'm excited to be here and able to speak with you all this morning about this very familiar story of Saul's conversion. We know a lot about Saul, who, who changes his name to Paul, and his life changes. He becomes, or he was an enemy of God, and he becomes a brother in the family of God. And so I'm excited to, to speak to you guys this morning. But before we dive in, let me say a quick word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for how you move in our lives, how you speak to us, Father, how you come to us. God, how you confront us when we need confronting. But Father, anytime you come to us, you give us purpose. You show us love, you show us grace. And so Father, we just thank you for that. And I pray that as I speak, Father, that you would speak and that your words would cut us to the heart and change us to be more like you. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. So let me ask you a question as we get started. Has seeing something or someone ever caused you to change your course of action? Has seeing something or someone ever caused you to change your course of action? So I had the privilege and the honor of traveling to Black Mountain, North Carolina, to Black Mountain home with uh, the Palmetto Christian Academy basketball teams, the varsity basketball teams this past week. And I just got to hang out with them for a few days as they went on their winter retreat before they start playoffs. And I, it was a great time. 
Black Mountain Home uh, started as an orphanage for kids and now has become like a, a large-scale foster home from kids uh, from, from birth to, to college age in transitional living. And uh, they serve so many kids and they do a great work there. And the kids loved it. The two teams, the boys and girls teams, absolutely loved being there. Uh, loved playing basketball with the kids that were there. Loved doing little um, crafts and activities with the, with the smaller kids. It was just a great time. And this retreat is set up in, in a great way because you have uh, kind of the mission side, but then you, can, you have your own space where the cabins and the meeting space is. And, and uh, as we know, student retreats, whenever students get away from their parents, they begin to make questionable decisions. Um, and so pranks ensue most oftentimes on retreats and camps. And, and so the kids were talking about uh, pranking each other. And, you know, for me, I'm old enough now where I really value sleep. And I was trying to get my, my fellas in, in our bunkhouse to sleep at a good time. You know, like midnight would be a good time to go to sleep on retreat, which is still way too late for me, but it's a, that's a win when you go to camp with a bunch of students. And uh, we almost had them sleep, but before they went to sleep, the guys found this old shack, this old little building behind our little, our little bunkhouse, and they could have swore that they saw someone in the window. It was where they saw, they saw this, this figure that was outlined in the window, and from there on, their eyes were peeled out the windows. They couldn't go to sleep. They didn't know what was going on. They thought they were about to be ravaged by some guy in what we came to know as the dirt bike shop for the, for the mountain club, but they thought that he was gonna come get them. Their eyes were peeled, and I'm sitting in my little, my little corner of the room, and what I hear, because their eyes are peeled outside, the fellas go, girls! And the girls had come from across the, the campus there with eggs and toilet paper, and were really doing a good job of sneaking up on the guys, but because they had been fearful and were looking out the windows, they saw them, and then chaos ensued. Midnight was not our bedtime. Uh, either night we were there, but the fellas were not prepared for pranking the first night, so they just emptied trash cans, filled them with water, and just chased the girls everywhere. Then the next day, they went to Dollar General, spent like 80 bucks on supplies, and did, did not make good choices with those supplies. Uh, it was tough to clean up. But I think what's important from this story that ties to our story of Saul here today is that when the sight of the girls approaching uh, the fellas, whenever they saw them girls, it changed everything. It changed our, our bedtime, it changed what they talked about the next day and the rest of the night. It changed everything for those guys. And I think for Saul, the, the big idea is when he comes face to face with Jesus, when he's knocked off the road, comes face to face with Jesus, Jesus changes everything, not just for that moment, but what he talks about the next day and the next day and for the rest of his life. And I believe our passage breaks this down in two different parts, and there's a lot in this passage. I would encourage you to join a life group as we break down uh, the passage of Scripture even further in life groups. Um, but the angle we're gonna come at this morning is that Jesus changes everything by confronting and commissioning his people confronting and commissioning his people. So as we dive into verse one of Acts chapter nine, we read this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So let me recap and bring you up to speed where we are in Acts chapter nine. 
Saul comes on scene a couple chapters earlier where we see the stoning of Stephen. So we see Stephen, the first Christian martyr, the first one who dies for his faith in the resurrected King Jesus. Saul is on scene. And what happens is that the men of that time, they come and lay their coats at the feet of, Jesus, at the feet of Saul, at the very least saying, hey, Saul approved of this stoning, and maybe even he was the one who, who made the first charge, who made the first claim. We see that Saul, from this point on, is like the top enemy of the church, or as we see in this scripture, they're called the way. He's the top enemy at this time, and he, persecution breaks out after the stoning, and Christians are running for their lives, which ultimately leads to the spreading of the gospel, but at the time, it was persecution. We read in Acts chapter 26, so Saul is, is now Paul, he's living for Jesus, and he's retelling this story, but Acts chapter 26, this is Paul speaking of himself, how bad he was. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I put many of the Lord's people in prison and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. You see, Saul was just simply a bad dude. We pick up this story on his way to Damascus. Damascus is about 150 miles from where Jerusalem, where this all started, about 150 miles. So from here to Augusta, Georgia, is about how far he traveled, how far he was willing to go without a car, airplane, anything like that, how far he was willing to go to rid the way, to get rid of these people who believed in Jesus. And so let's dive into point one, which is Jesus changes everything by confronting. And we see the confrontation with Saul in this scripture. Acts chapter nine, verse three begins as this. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And I think one thing to mention that we're not really gonna talk about this morning, but we see that, that Jesus says, hey, you're persecuting me. So there's this idea of where when you are engrafted into the family of Jesus, when you become a, a, a member of Jesus's family, then you are with him. You are one with him. You are part of his body. And when something happens to the family, something happens to Jesus as well. And so we see that happening in the background here. And I don't want you to miss that. But I think here uh, we see that Saul confronts or Jesus confronts Saul. And for Saul, what you gotta remember here is that this is a religious endeavor for Saul. He's really obeying the faith that he knows. He's obeying the religion that he knows, that he's grew up with, that he's memorized. He's doing his best to live that out. But what him and so many of the people around him missed is that Jesus was who they were looking for the whole time. He was the coming Messiah that they were looking for, but Saul missed it. N.T. Wright says this about Saul. He was a highly intelligent, superbly educated, supremely biblically literate 
young man. See, Saul was fighting for his faith. He knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. And he thought he was doing what was right. He didn't realize what he was doing until Jesus confronts him. N.T. Wright's quote continues with this. It confirmed everything Saul had been taught. Yet it overturned everything he had been taught. The law and the prophets had come true. The law and the prophets had been torn to pieces and put back together in a totally new way. It was a new world. It was the old world made explicit. It showed him that the God he had loved from childhood, the God for whose glory he had been so righteously indignant, the God whose name and for whose honor he was busy rounding up those who were declaring that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah, that he was risen from the dead, that he was the Lord of the world, it showed him, Saul, that the God he had been right to serve, right to study, right to seek in prayer, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had done what he always said he would. But he'd done it in a shocking, scandalous, horrifying way. The God who had always promised to come and rescue his people had done so in person, in the person of Jesus. And for Saul, this had to be a moment of, of horror and beauty. This God that he grew up, this Jesus he grew up, this Messiah he grew up looking forward to, he was now standing face to face with. But he was standing face to face in the moment where he's going to persecute more and more people to drag more and more Christians who believe in this Jesus to prison, ultimately to cast his vote for the death penalty. A beautiful yet horrific sight for Saul. Which leads us to point number two. Saul has been confronted and he has been commissioned to head to Damascus where he will meet a guy named Ananias. And point two, we're gonna dive into Ananias. Point two is that Jesus changes everything by confronting and commissioning his people. Acts nine, starting in verse 10, continues. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to rescue his sight, to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So what I need you to do now is place yourself in Ananias' shoes. Imagine you are Ananias. You know this guy Saul is coming to town for no good purpose at all. 
You don't know about his encounter with Jesus. You don't know about any of this. All you know is he's coming to continue his mission of persecuting the church, of persecuting those who believe in Jesus as the resurrected king. Now, I wish I could say that I would respond faithfully. Say, yes, Jesus, I'd love to minister to him. I'd love to to bring your word to him. But truthfully, I'm not sure. I, I think I would respond at least like Ananias does and question God If not, just say, God, maybe not this time. I'll obey you next time, but not this time. Because Ananias is there to, I mean, Saul's coming to drag him away from his home. But Ananias, he does question God. It's tough for Ananias. He realizes what Saul's coming to do and what Saul has been doing, but yet he obeys God. Listen to this Kent Hughes quote that kind of puts it into perspective. The angels must have sung when they heard these words of forgiveness. Ananias probably knew some young women who had been widowed by Saul. Perhaps some of his friends had been orphaned by Saul's bloodbath or been killed or imprisoned themselves. But Ananias forgave him because the two men were brothers in Christ. They were parts of the same body. So we see again that Ananias, no matter the difficulty of this call, obeys Christ. And what, what would happen if he didn't? Imagine if Ananias had said, okay, next time, next time. What we know about Saul and what we know about his story is that Saul is baptized at the end of this scripture. His name is changed to Paul and he begins to, to serve and suffer for Christ as he was just commissioned to do by Jesus himself serves and suffers, and what we know now is that he writes a large portion of our New Testament today. But if Ananias had never went to Saul, got the scales from his eyes, what would have happened? And I ask you, is there someone in your life that God is telling you to go speak to? What'll happen if you don't? And I think this brings us back to the big idea of today is that Jesus changes everything. You see, Jesus confronts Saul in his persecution of the church and then give him a whole new mission, a whole new purpose of life. We see that Jesus meets Ananias in his fear of what Saul's gonna do and gives him a new mission and a new purpose towards Saul and ministering to him. And I believe going back to my Black Mountain trip this past week, that Jesus confronted some of the students there. And what we see and what I saw is that These students, through the testimonies of the kids who lived in this orphanage, this foster home, kids who had been there over 10 years, one student had been there for four years, hearing their story, hearing the leader's stories about forgiveness, and I believe Jesus was encountering these kids, and and I heard one one student get up and start to share. So, So the last night we were there, we asked the students to write down different things on a sheet of paper. They were to write down a, a, a sin maybe that they had in their life that they wanted to give to Jesus or something that just wasn't lining up, was not leading them to Jesus. They were to write that down on the sheet of paper and then someone that they were to forgive, that they needed to forgive, that had done them wrong, said something wrong and um, we challenged them to write that on a sheet of paper and then we went out to a fire and they, we circled around it and they were able to, to throw that sheet of paper in the fire, just symbolically giving it to Jesus. And as we stood there, students started sharing about what they were throwing in the fire. Even some things they didn't throw in the fire, but as Jesus confronted them, things were lighting up. 
things that they didn't think were there, they started to show up. And, and uh, so one student got up and, and started sharing and said, he looked at his coach that was like two people down and said, hey coach, I need to forgive you, ma'am. He said, look, I, I made some bad choices a couple years ago. I did some wrong things and I realized that, but how you handled it, I took it the wrong way and it made me not trust you anymore. It made you not respect you anymore. And it's affected us. He said, but, but we're bros and I need to forgive you and I hope you'll forgive me for how I've been uh, acting towards you. And then those two hugging and crying, it was powerful. Another kid gets up, another girl says, I love basketball, I've always loved basketball. My dad has loved basketball, but I need to forgive him for, for, for how he's been talking to me about basketball. His passion for me getting better and wanting to really kind of live and love basketball through me has made me not love the sport anymore. That's why I took a year off the previous year, but I, re, I found my love again this year and I'm playing, but I really need to forgive him for how he has talked to me about this sport and how he's led me in this sport, how he's coached me, because it didn't go over well. And I, I, I hope that I can forgive him, but I want him to forgive me for how I've treated him in this time as well. And then lastly, one student um, spoke up and she said, man, I, I really need to forgive, like, like forgive myself, accept God's forgiveness for myself because you know, I try to follow him. I try to do what's right. I try to do what he calls me to do. And what I realize is that when I'm around my friends and when I'm around certain people, I just don't do it. I don't obey him. I don't speak up when I think he's asking me to speak up. I don't do the things he's called me to do. And I just wanna give that to him because I want to. I want to serve him. I want to give him all of me. I want to do that. And what I sat there and realized as I had been prepping this sermon is that these kids didn't know these things were in them. They didn't know that this was like sucking life out of them until Jesus confronted them at this retreat about it. And I think about this apple of how, you know, they thought their lives were going well. They thought everything was, was hunky-dory, like life was going on. But when they looked a little closer, when Jesus shined his light on them, they realized like this apple, like it's got a bite taken out of it. It's starting to brown. The life is being sucked out of this apple but it only to, you have to look, you have to see it, you have to notice it, and that's what Jesus' confrontation does. He sheds light on things that we're missing, things that are sucking life out of us. He shines light. But he doesn't just confront us and leave us there, he gives us a new mission. He gives us a new purpose, and it's always new life, it's always grace, it's always for good. You see, in John we read that Jesus comes to give us life and life abundant, and in this story we see Saul take hold of this new life. We see Ananias take hold of this new life and this new mission, this new purpose. I saw students take hold of this new life and new purpose this, this past week. And the question is, will you? The question is, where is God confronting you in this moment? Where has God been confronting you, but you have not been answering the call? Maybe God is confronting you about some sin in your life, something that's not lining up in his way of life, or maybe it's someone to forgive. Like Ananias had to let go of some things to answer this call to go minister to Saul. And then what's God calling you to do? What's the new mission he's placed in your heart? What's the new purpose he's placed in your heart like he's done for so many people? So will you listen? Will you take heed to his confrontation? And will you accept this new purpose of life? Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much 
At no point do we deserve anything that you give us in this life. We do not deserve these good confrontations that we've read about today. We deserve confrontations that, um, where you're angry and, and, and um, not good. That's what we deserve. But Father, your confrontations are always uplifting. Your confrontations point out something that's going on in our life, but then you help us to, to frame them into a good way so that we can serve you better. You give us purpose in this life. You meet us with love and grace and not anger and hostility. So Father, may we be like Saul. May we be like Ananias. May we be like the kids from this past week and answer your call. May we notice that you're pointing things out in our life that are sucking life out of us, but you're trying to pour life into us. Father, help us to take hold of what you're doing in our life. Make it clear. Make it clear what you're doing and what you're saying. Father, we love you and we thank you. In your name, amen.